Welcome to Momentum Church. And so I just want to kind of take a moment. Y'all know I got ADD, amen? And I can feel it working up in here today. I'm just being honest, man. There's about a hundred things I want to preach to you, and, I, and we, I'm, I'm only going to preach an hour and a half, okay? We got guests going, is he serious? No, sometimes, no, no. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, this is your service. Lord, Jared already alluded to it today. We say, yeah, 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 to you, God. Yes, Lord, whatever you desire, whatever you want said, done, have your way, Jesus. If we all could just put our hands kind of in a symbol of receptivity to the Holy Spirit. Lord, right now, our hands are open to you, not to Ross, not to this preacher. We're open to you, Jesus. Speak. And the words you speak challenge, and the challenge you give bring life from it, I pray. And we thank you for this, Jesus. Move by your Holy Spirit in this room. We thank you for your anointing, God. We thank you for your anointing. We thank you that when your spirit comes, Lord, you break chains. When your spirit comes, you break bondages. When your spirit comes in a place, Jesus, we know when the Holy Spirit comes, you set captives free. We just invite you to come in this house in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, I was in a church service where I was leading the worship service. And is it okay if I tell a ghost story a little bit? Is that all right? So I was leading a worship service. And yeah, I used to be a worship leader. Believe it or not, you don't want me to do that. This was back in the day when it was like, celebrate Jesus, celebrate. You know. Yeah, some of you guys remember those days. Okay, so yeah, so, but you don't want me to do that. But I was, I was leading a worship service, and, um, and a woman had come in that I had not seen at my dad's church in a couple years. It had been a while since I'd seen her. Her name was Sue, and Sue had come in, and she just, I'll be honest, as she came through the door, you could tell something was different about Sue. You could just tell. She had always been a woman that was joyful and vibrant. She'd always been a woman that, that was um, maybe not talkative, but but warm, you know, like, like, it, like she wanted to talk to people, but she didn't know quite how to get into the conversation. But if you would go to Sue and start that conversation, you could tell there was just such a, a, an appreciation and a hunger for that give and take of warmth exchange. You know what I mean? That's just how Sue was. And, and, and so that day I saw her come in, and I was already up there kind of getting the guitar tuned and stuff like that. And, and all this was just kind of dawning on me. Like, she just seems different today. Uh, aloof, standoffish, more than normal, and, and just different. And so she goes over into the corner um, of the sanctuary over here by where Jason is, and, and he, she just kind of tucks in over on this side, and just something kept drawing to me the whole service. She just seemed different. And so we're leading worship, and that day my brother-in-law was preaching, and so Jeff was preaching, and when service was over, I'm done with the, the last little worship thing we did at the end of service, and she took off, and, and you guys know me, man. I'm a relational kind of person. I want to connect with people. That's just who I am, and, and I hadn't seen Sue in a while, and I just wanted her to know she was loved. I just wanted her to know you were seen in this house, that there was value in you, and, and I just wanted to be sure she knew that before she walked out, and so she starts to walk down. I get my guitar down, and I run after her. I mean, I run, but I, I, I briskly walked, and, and I get to the lobby, and I sue. And she turned, and when she looked at me, it was as if her eyes were different than the Sue I ever knew. She looked at me, and it was weird. It was like she looked through me. And I said, Sue, and she just looked. 
And I, and I went up and said, hey, I just want to let you know it's so good to see you today. And she gave no response back. And, and I go like this, because you all know I'm a hugger. And I go to do the, you know, the, the side hug that us guys do to gals. Guys, that's how you're supposed to do it. Right? Right? In church. And so, well, out of church. Well, out of church. Don't hug women that's not your wife. Okay, so you know what I'm trying to say. So <laughs> I go to give her this side hug, right? And when I do, guys, she slumps into the floor. She just melts into the floor, to which I think she's having an encounter in the foyer with the Holy Ghost, right? I mean, like, this is, I've seen that before. You know, you pray for somebody, and they might fall down. I'm not saying that, that, that we make a theology of that. Somebody asked me one time, why do people fall sometimes when they're prayed for? Because they can't stand up. I mean, there's not really a good reason. I mean, through Scripture, you see people touched by the power of God. They can't stand up. This is what happens. So, so I'm thinking she's having this encounter, right? And so I just, oh, Lord, bless her, Lord, bless her, Lord. And I go to lean down just to pray more. I don't know what's going on. This is in the foyer of the church. People are coming by. I go to, and crawls herself to the corner of the foyer and looks at me with this. It was not Sue. Looked at me with this spirit of torment, this fear. It was as if I was coming at her with the blood of Jesus, and I was. But I didn't realize that was, I mean, obviously in the moment, I'm like, oh my gosh, this woman is demonized. And so like a true man of God in power and faith at 20 years old, Jeff! <laughs> John, John. <laughs> so my brother-in-law comes and, and uh, man, we spent the next probably 30, 45 minutes dealing with this lady. And, and um, long story short, she was possessed. And we cast the demons out of her through the power of Jesus. Nothing to be like, ooh, let's start a demon casting out ministry. You know? It wasn't nothing like that. It's just Sue was somebody we loved. And Sue had become tormented. And Sue had become possessed. And we just wanted to see her free. And she got free that day. Started coming back to church, and we found out what was going on. And what had happened was she had allowed herself to connect with a warlock, a man who practiced witchcraft. And I'll get back into her story toward the end of the service here today. But she had allowed herself to be one that had apostated, had turned her back on God to the degree that she had opened herself up to all sorts of things. And I know that messes your theology up, but I have an experience, okay? So you can have a theology. I have an experience. Come on, somebody, all right? And I can back it up with the scriptures, but she had allowed herself to get to a point where she was demonized. That's a real ghost story, guys. I'm not talking about the movies. I'm saying this was Sue's life. Life and death as you know it, and the enemy of her heart was separating that poor broken soul, because she was. She was a broken type person anyhow. Always just wanted love. Always just wanted somebody to value her, to accept her. That's all she ever wanted, and this insidious one had come in and kind of did something there. You know, it was kind of wild, you know? And so I say that. I'm going to get to it toward the end. But Sue, the Holy Spirit, had an encounter with her that day. And she had a Holy Spirit encounter that day too. Amen? And God set her free. Is that awesome? Yeah. And, and the thing with that is, the story doesn't change. It's the same story. Satan only has a couple things that he does. Really, his game plan is pretty limited. He, he tries to keep you from, from God, okay? And he's looking for whom. And I'm not saying that God doesn't come to you, okay, man? I mean, God's always looking for whom. We'll have faith in him. God's always, I mean, God is ultimately powerful. Amen? 
but choice and will is at place too. And so God, if the enemy can try to keep us from God, he will. That's what he was doing in the Garden of Eden. He was trying to separate man from God, trying to create a division there. Really, God's saying this? That's not what God's saying. God just doesn't want you to become like him. And so do this, take this. And in the day you eat, you shall, you know, so all these things. So if he just tries to keep us from God, number two, if he can't keep us from God and we start to have a relationship with God, he'll try to keep us from living for God. All right? That's the game plan. That's it. There's not a whole lot more to it than that, to try to keep us from a relationship with God. Number two, to try to keep us from living for God. All right, and that's where the Holy Spirit comes in play. The Ruach HaKodesh. All right, I told you last week we're going to look, we've been looking at the Ruach, the wind, the spirit, the breath of God, that Hebrew word for God. I'm going to explain a little bit more of that today. And then the HaKodesh part, the holiness of God, that idea, man, God has this plan to protect you, to separate you, to keep you. To, to, to be there for you, to watch out for you, and it comes in keeping in step with his plan. That's why the enemy hates for us to not press into a living relationship with Jesus. Amen? That's all he has is those two things, keep you from God and keep you from trying to live for God. But God, he wants us to draw near to him. And, and here's the reason why, because drawing near to God results in something. Scripture teaches us that if you draw near to him, he draws near to you. It, it, it's like math. One plus one equals two. It, it just, it just happens. If we draw near to God, he draws near to us. The same way, if we pull away from God in our own decisions and start living for self, we start to reap the benefit of self. Okay? We begin to distance ourselves from the Lord. Not that he distances himself from us. And it's like one plus one equals two. There's always that outcome. How many like scary movies? Okay, y'all going to hell. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't. My kids know this. I don't like scary movies. And why is it, Auburn? Why don't I like scary movies? Because daddy startles. I star I, I'm a horrible startler. Like I am. If, if I'm here at the church working by myself, I know nobody else is in the building but Holy Spirit, right? But I'm in here by myself and somebody walks in, Barbara, you're harmless. Look at her. She's harmless. I mean, fierce in Jesus, but pretty harmless physically, right? But if Barbara walks up and goes, Pastor, I'm going to, I'm going back to me because I used to tease my mother for it when, she, when I was a kid. And God's like, I'll just put that same thing in you, you know? So if I'm watching a movie that has a tense moment, even if it's not horror, just something with a, a tense moment, and, and, and I always put my feet up, and my feet will just go, oh, they just kind of, they just kind of stick, you know? And guess what's wild about that? In those scary movies, it's a prescription in a sense. It, it, it's, it's, it's that, I forget what they call it, a jump track or whatever, a jump, a jump moment. It, it like, it's designed to make you startle. And it happens every time. And you can tell yourself, don't get scared. Don't get scared. Don't get scared. Just hang in there. Don't, you know, they're going to jump out any moment. Don't get scared. And guess what? At least for me, <laughs> I mean, I get scared. Every single time. And you may be like, well, you're just a girl. I'll punch you. I swear I will. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, but it's just the way that works. I mean, all I'm saying is that movie gets you every, it's designed to. The same way the enemy of our heart will get us every time if we separate ourselves from God. I'm not saying God, the scriptures tell us there's nothing that can separate us from God. But I'll tell you right now, effectually, 
if we begin to pull away from God, if we pull away from the word that he prescribes, how we're to live, I'm not saying God pulls away, but we stop seeing the benefits of that relationship. <coughs> and I'll just say this. At some point, we know it. We know it's not going to end good, you know? Don't go around that corner. There's a man with a knife. It's not going to end good. It's a ghost story. We know it, but we can't help ourselves. And next thing you know, this thing gets us, if you will. This, I'm not saying it'll be all the way like Sue's relationship with the Lord. I'll explain that toward the end of the sermon. But I'm just saying something takes us away from the best that God has for us. I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. I like to stand for the reading of God's word, at least this first scripture, just to honor his word. So let's stand up around the room here, and let's just honor his word. Because God's drawing us to a holy place. Say holy place. Say holy place again. Hmm. He's drawing us as a people, individually, but as a church, to a holy place. And here's what it says in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, so this is speaking to believers. The man that wrote this, some believe it's Paul, the man who wrote Hebrews, he's speaking to Christians. All right? This isn't to the lost. This isn't to the world, if you will. This is those that profess a relationship with Jesus. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is light of salvation, sacrifice that Jesus made, we can have confidence. On this side of salvation, all right, when you're lost, there's not one thing you can do to get found. Amen? You can't good enough yourself into heaven, all right? And so the sacrifice we have is that, that relationship we have with Jesus, the sacrifice he made for us to cover our sins. Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, I'm going to stop there for a second. I know you're standing, so am I. So... Salvation it's talking about here. And we can have a clear conscience. We can come to the Lord with all of our sins, all of our faults. All right? That idea of pre-conversion is we're coming to faith in Jesus. We bring our whole mess to him. And he washes. There's not one thing that he that will hold back his grace from you from. He washes it all clean. Amen? But then watch what it tells us in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised his faithful like don't lose that confession of your hope and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works that's pastor's job today i'm stirring you to good works but but ross we're not saved by works i I get that you're right we're not but once we are we're called to good works okay this is speaking to believers say that i'm called to good works say it one more time i'm called to good works Yeah, 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 yeah. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, which I'm glad we're doing that physically. I'm glad we're doing that digitally to all those watching from home. I'm glad you're a part of this today. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I believe that encouragement of one another is partly encouraging each other to hold on to your confidence. Don't back up. Don't don't allow the world, if you will, to creep. Don't be, I've said this so many times, if we will live holy but not live holier than thou, we will change a world. God doesn't, the world doesn't need us to be holier than thou, amen? 
We need broken in our sin and broken before the Lord and broken before people. But also on the other side, God doesn't want us to not walk holy after him. All right, so walk holy, but don't be holier than thou. And so we encourage each other in that. And even more as the day is drawing near. End times are coming, amen? I'm not a big doomsday person. I, you don't hear me teach a lot about eschatology. You know, that's the study of end times. I just, there's enough stuff to deal with right now. It's just the right now is getting a whole lot closer to the right then. You know what I mean? It's like it's all coming together, right? So we should encourage each other even more. Go ahead and have your seat. And so what you see in Hebrews chapter 10, we're addressed to brother. And when we come back to it, it's strong. And when we come back to it, remember, it was addressed to brothers. This is to us as believers. In other words, God's trying to get the attention of these early believers. They're doing some things, as you look at the rest of the scripture, which we'll look at in a moment, they're doing some things that are they're just getting out of the plan of God, the flow of God. And God is trying to catch their attention. I love it when God catches our attention. And, and, and there's a story in the scriptures that is one of my favorites when God is trying to catch a people's attention. Now, the people that he's catching their attention in this story are not believers, if you will. They're not Jews. They don't follow Jehovah. They do not follow God that we follow. And you can see that they are having a party. No thought of the world, no thought of anything going on. We just are having a party. We're having a great time. And God shows up in a powerful way to catch their attention. I want you to watch this, all right? So Daniel 5, 1 through 6, King Belshazzar, he made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousands. And Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, he commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, all right, so these are things that were used in holy worship of God, and they're vessels that were used in holy worship, but now they're being pulled out of the temple, out of the place of sanctuary, out of the place where man meets God. They're being pulled out, these vessels, and now they're beginning to be used in a profane way. All right? We're going to tie all this together here in a little bit. And so they take these things out of Jerusalem, and they bring them to the kings and his lords and his wives and his concubines that they might drink from them, playing around, if you will, with the things of God. And then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. Verse 4, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. I mean, these were the things that God was using, these artifacts, these temple vessels in worship to God. Now they're taking those things that are used in worship to God, they're using them to worship as God. In other words, those things are now created things, are now becoming the object of focus, the object of, of, of worship. Immediately, this is crazy, this is a ghost story, y'all. Verse 5, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. Opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed. And his thoughts alarmed him. And his limbs gave. It, it was something that he's knocked together. He was captivated by fear. It, it was something that, 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 that literally grabbed and just a hold of who he was in that moment. And he was captivated by fear. Let's go on to verse 22. 
And you, his son, Belshazzar, this is Daniel speaking to him. The prophet begins to speak. Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. In other words, you had knowledge, but you're not living in the light of that knowledge. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you, your lords, your wives, your concubines, have drunk wine from them, and have praised the gods of silver and gold and of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Remember I told you last week, the Spirit of God, that Ruach, one of the terms is breath. And I said that God breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living being. Sin entered, and at that point began to try to create a separation between God and man. Because he doesn't want us to live, he wants us to die. And if not die physically, die spiritually. Die to the destiny he has for us. Die to the call he has for us, the impact, the influence he has for us. Go to verse 24. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and his writing was inscribed, and in this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Simparson. This is the interpretation of the matter. What it meant was many. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and have brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting, and you will be judged is what it's saying. There, there's these balances that you've been weighed in. And, and God is coming. Now, this wasn't his people. And as his people, we can say, you know what, though? That's not, that we're his people. So it doesn't go for us. I'm going to show us here in a second. It does. That there's things in our life that at times God puts his finger on. Because he is the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh. And he puts his finger on it. And he weighs us in those bounces. And at times we're found wanting. That means we're lacking. And we've got to be honest with ourselves. This was written to a people who were not after God's heart. This was written to a people who had held captive a people who represented the heart of God. They were holding captive the Jews. In other words, the purpose of God, they're holding captive. I believe in our heart, even though we're believers at times, if we're not holding ourselves in balance and allowing the Holy Spirit the purpose in our life and allowing us to change rather than to excuse it, we hold captive the purpose of God in and through our lives. All right? We hold captive what God's trying to do in and through us. And so now let's go on to Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go back. Because that was not talking to believers. That was talking to the Babylonians. Let's kind of go now forward. The Chaldeans, rather. Let's go forward now and see what God says to his people. Because obviously it'll be easier, right? Because we're his people. We're his believers. So it's not going to be so harsh as it was with those. I mean, that's the Old Testament, too. So that's the Old Testament. And that's not Jews, and that's not believers. That's Old Testament, not believers. Now, well, let's go to Hebrews. This is definitely New Testament. This is written to brothers. Watch verse 26 of Hebrews 10. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a fearful expectation of judgment Wait, pastor, we don't judge, right? Isn't that what our, the world tells us? How dare you judge? You're absolutely right. We should never judge the world, amen? When you judge the world, it's useless. It's like telling a cat not to meow or a dog not to bark, amen? I'm not going to judge Molly, my dog, for barking. That, that's what she's designed to. I was designed to sin. 
The nature in me is still designed to sin. I still struggle with sin, but I'm not going to excuse it. I don't want to deliberately go on after I've received the knowledge of God. There should be judgment, and I should judge myself. And if I don't judge myself, I would hope a Paul would come along and write Scripture saying, Brothers, listen to this. I would hope a brother would come to me in small group and say, No, what you're doing doesn't line up with Scripture, and we're not being hypocritical because I'm sinning too. But I need you to say the same thing to me. Ross Wiseman, don't continue in deliberate sin. Well, I say to you, don't continue in deliberate sin, and let's go to God together in brokenness, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and empower us in strength. Because it says there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. In other words, the Old Testament speaks against you. You know that you've failed, and there's multiple places to show where we failed. We know that. That's why Jesus shed his blood to cover us and to not do away with law, but to complete and fulfill law. But then let's go New Testament. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? I'm not going to get into a big theological debate today. All right? I'm not. I'm just going to let the word speak. Is that all right? This sounds like it's speaking to a believer. This sounds like it's speaking to my friend Sue. She was sanctified. She was walking after the things of God. But something happened. And she began to deliberately go after the things of the world. How much worse punishment, it says here. And has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. And has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Who? His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. One of the most famous preachers of all time, Jonathan Edwards, during the beginning of the Great Awakening, he preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That's based on this scripture. And It was the idea of a holy God coming against us, if you will, as our nature, like our unholy nature. And not us as his people coming up and being angry about it, but being thankful. Thank you, Lord, that you judge me. Your judgment is good. Your judgment is good. Because when your judgment comes and I embrace that I am fully guilty, then and only then can I become fully redeemed. Then and only then can I look to a Jesus that can cleanse my guiltiness. But as long as I go on deliberately and I don't care, I profane the sacrifice of Jesus. Y'all, I'm your pastor. I've been pastor here for a long time. You know I don't preach a hard, hard, hard message on sin. You know I just don't. Why? Because it's the goodness of God that draws man to repentance. And so if you're here today and you're not a believer, this isn't for you. This is, this is Papa. This is Dad talking to the house. This is Dad talking to the kids of this house. Amen? And I'm included in that. David, I'm included in that. You point that finger at me too, buddy, because I need it too, amen? And he would. That's the kind of man that he is. Welcoming correction and pushing, you know, I love that you lead so many men 
You guys don't know who David is, but David got saved a few years ago, four or five, five years ago, six years ago. And man, not too long after that, started sowing into guys' lives. And he's got multiple men's groups all over the city, all over the area, like just sowing into men's lives. And I love it because they win each other, amen? <clears throat> when God begins to write guilty, don't excuse it. Embrace it, Amen. Watch this. Let's go back here to verse 29. It says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? And he has outraged the spirit of grace. Do you catch that? That's wild to me. Hold on. In light of our modern grace teaching, I'm looking at the scripture saying that we can outrage the spirit of grace. Well, no, if it was everything about our modern grace teaching, how would you ever outrage that spirit, right? How could you outrage the spirit of grace? Because grace means it doesn't matter. No, grace means it matters so much there was a price paid, and it was the blood of Jesus. And I will not go on trying to sin deliberately and spit on the sacrifice that Jesus made on that cross for me. Amen? Doesn't mean I look at the world and judge. Doesn't mean it means I look at myself and judge. That just seemed like such a contrast to me. And y'all know we're a grace place, amen? We tell people all the time, you come as you are, and people do by the droves. And I love it, amen? But man, we're not going to be a church, come as you are and stay as you came. We're going to be a church that says, come as you are, but leave changed, amen? amen? And that may not take overnight. That may take a long time, and that's all right. And we're going to be patient, amen? And, and, but we don't want that patience in our lives and in the things of the relationship we have with God, to look like, I don't care. I'm just going to deliberately go on. It doesn't matter. I'm telling you today, it does. And it can matter so much, it can matter to the point of your soul. So the spirit of grace, that just sounds like it stands in contrast here to the modern message of grace, that anything goes. It doesn't matter. God just loves you. It doesn't matter how you live. Don't worry about it. If the scripture says it, surely it just means it's old times. It's different today, Ross. You don't understand. Today's a different day. We live by a different set. We live by this or we don't. Amen? And I'm not saying you live. You got my heart. We struggle at times to live by this. That's why we need each other to live by this. But this is the holy word that God gives us to live by. And what's beautiful is he does not only give us his holy word to live by, he brings the Ruach HaKodesh into us. The Holy Spirit comes to live with inside of us to help manifest this word through us. My worry is when we don't care about the word, how long is it that the Holy Spirit strives with you when you could care less? For Sue, it was two years. But pastor... She just was never saved in the first place. How dare you judge her salvation? I don't know if she was or not. She sure seemed like it. I saw all the fruits of her work. I'm not going to judge her salvation. So don't judge me that I'm saying that maybe she lost it. I don't know. I'm just, all I'm saying is she once was walking after God, and now she's wreathing in a floor like an animal. Pastor, that's not going to happen. I agree. That probably will never happen to you. You're absolutely right. Demonized people come in all different forms and shapes and fashions. There's a difference between being demon-possessed and demonized. 
I don't know if she was possessed, I'll be honest, but she was so demonized that she was giving forth a spirit of, of oppression that was so deep and ingrained upon her that we had to bring deliverance in that moment through Jesus. So, so yeah, possession means that your spirit, who you are, literally you become possessed. That's something spiritual, okay? But physically, oppression can get a hold of a mind. It can get a hold of a body. It can get a hold of this, this it's called sarks in the Greek, this, this, this outside part, not the pneuma part of you, not the, the ruach, not the breath part of you, but this sarks, this flesh. And it can get a hold so much. I was praying for a woman one time who was a worship leader. And as I started praying for her, she started screaming like an like a like just ah, ah, I mean the church got quiet I didn't know what was going on I thought like we were casting a demon out when it was all said and done this thing broke off of her we began to talk to her and she had allowed herself to get into gross sin and was making excuse for it for years and this oppressive spirit I'm not saying if she would have died she would have went to hell not saying that, but this oppressive spirit was so attached to her that when we began to cast it off, it was like pain. This is, this is from her saying it. I felt like something was being ripped from me. How she described it. We're being ripped from my body. Again, is there anybody in this room today that's going to deal with it at that point? Probably not. The devil doesn't care as long as he gets us separated experientially from God or causes us to not live after God. He doesn't care. He wins either way. Amen? And so this Ruach, I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I don't have a whole lot of time today. Um, I kind of want to walk through the name of Ruach and Hakodesh. Can I do that real quick? All right. We've got 10 more minutes. Is that okay? All right. So in Hebrew, the word ruach, it's made up of basically three letters. It's resh, vav, and het, okay? And so these three letters, resh, rather resh, I said resh, resh, vav, and het. Those are the three letters. And resh has a symbol in the old pictograph of ancient Hebrew. The new pictograph looks different, but the old pictograph of ancient Hebrew, Hebrew it looked like a, a crowned head. And so literally, it's the picture of a crown head, and it means master, leader, or prince. Okay, just watch, watch with me here, okay? Vav, that word is the picture of a nail or a hook that fastens, or it secures two things that are separated from one another. That's vav, and then chet, that last word, is the picture of a fence. And it means to separate, to protect, or to cut off, and to be a sanctuary. We're fenced in. The things God does in our life to fence us, it's not to keep us from the best. It's to protect the best. It's not keeping you out from God's best. No, it's keeping other stuff from getting in. It's protecting the best. So what it's saying when you see Ruach or Resh Vav Chet, when you see those three letters, it's saying there is a leader who will connect us to a fence or boundaries that are intended to prevent, protect and provide sanctuary for us. That's the ghost. I mean, that's the, the ghost part. Is that good? And then ha kodesh, that word is actually two words. Ha means the, and kodesh is translated apartness, holiness, sacredness, 
separatedness. And here's the problem with that. The only time you hear churches teach on this so often is the ugly churches. The get right or get left. I'm just being honest. You know what I'm saying? Don't you think you'll exhale that cigarette smoke in heaven? You die with one of them cancer sticks in your mouth, you'll go straight to hell. God hates queers. God hates queers. They got their freaking signs out there, not showing the love of God to anybody. I don't fix nothing. It ticks me off. Mm. I think I, oh, makes, mm. I don't, you know that about me. I hate the ugly church. I hate the hateful church. I love that God, his goodness draws us to a relationship to him. But then on the other side, you swing the pendulum to licentiousness. You swing the pendulum all over that. It doesn't matter. I just love people so much. It doesn't matter. Neither church people just outweighs my love for God, and I get out of bounds that way. Neither church like that has anything to offer a world that needs something real. That's why for us, the church, if you're not a believer here, man, I'm preaching to us, the church, the Christians today. We got to walk holy, but not be holier than thou. And you know what will happen? We'll come into this place of sanctuary. Amen. I'm getting ready to get to it. We'll come to this place of sanctuary where the Holy Spirit will start to show up. Signs and wonders and miracles will start to show up. And your lost friend that is sick and going through something, can I pray for you? Yes, I can. And I begin to pray and a miracle happens. And when that miracle happens, oh my gosh, who does? It's Jesus that did that. Why did that miracle happen? Because the person is living after the things of God. The move of the Spirit's in them. Things are happening. Amen? So HaKodesh, there's a separateness that God calls us to. HaKodesh is made up of four words, or four letters. He, Kuf, Dalet, which we've taught on before, and Sheen, which we've taught on before. I should have these up there, but I'm just kind of quickly trying to get through this. And so hey is the picture of a man with uplifted arms, and it means to behold, to pay attention, to follow what's about to be revealed. It's showing that the Holy Spirit, the, the HaKodesh, is a revealer. Pay attention is what it's saying. Koth is the picture of the back of the head, and it means the least or the last or behind is what it means. Dalit is the picture of the door, and it means a doorway, a place of decision, a place where change can take place, an entrance to life or death. Life or death. Sheen is the picture of teeth, and it means to press, to consume, to destroy. As Christians, we'll look at the letter sheen, which looks like that, kind of, three points. That's, this is the reason why the Jewish priest, when they would pray the priestly blessing, do this. I know, I know it looks like live long and prosper. Leonard Nimoy's a good Jew, and he assimilated that. I'm just being honest, but it's, it's a picture of shin, okay, as they, pray, as they pray blessing over you. And as Christians, we look at that as the light of God because it looks like, like, a, can, like, a, like a lamp, okay? But it, it can mean destroy and, and, and consume in a good way that we're consumed by God. He's everything to us. It's not necessarily the negative, but also that he is powerful, and we forget that, that he is a destroyer as well of all things evil. And so we're told throughout the original language, when you look at this, we're being told this, to behold something or someone, to pay attention, 
to what follows. And what follows is the holiness of God in our lives. It's showing us that someone unworthy, the least, the one that feels behind, is being brought through a doorway to a place where God will show himself forth. That shin, he will show himself who he is. Actually, that shin, that letter shin, is the letter all throughout Scripture that God uses to reveal himself. It's, the, it's where we get the word Shaddai. And, and again, we've taught on that before, okay? So it means that he's the supplier. He's the all-sufficient one. And so God is saying, man, I'm going to show you all this. Come through the door. You have to be consumed. Holiness has for you. But it is holiness. And there'll be some things that have to be consumed in your life. If I'm going to show forth the way I desire. And so the person going through that doorway definitely feels unworthy, behind. But they're set apart from those. Because remember, the separation? Set apart from those entering into this special place before God. And as believers, we're set apart. And that's okay. The Bible says we're a royal generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. That's all right that we're not like the world. And then this person, this is telling us, this person is granted access because he is obviously not able to provide that on his own merit, but he's given a door and he's granted access into this place of sanctuary. So let's put it all together. Ruach HaKodesh is given to the leader who intends to join us. To clear, it's, it's, it's God. He's clearing boundaries. He gives us these clear boundaries, which will allow the least of us to be set apart and invited to pass through a doorway into a place where God will identify himself to us and be revealed through our lives. Amen? That's a lot in those two words. Amen? Give God some praise. Amen? There's a lot going on there. So now let's go back to Hebrews chapter 10. Okay, well, how does this play out? If, if the Ruach HaKodesh is putting his finger on things in my life... Verse 32, but recall the former days. This is people that have fallen away from God. They're doing things that they know are deliberately against his word. Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. This is the reason why I believe they're believers. Because the writer of Hebrews is assuming they're believers. Okay? He's presuming that. He's saying you, you so had a relationship with God that, that you went through hard times for it. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. I mean, he's talking to people that have been going along in the way, the way you're supposed to go. But they've fallen away because of deliberate sin that they don't care about. And Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, is coming against that. Verse 35, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. It's not something God's going to throw away. God, you can never separate yourself from his love, but you sure can throw some things away. Don't throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. The enemy wants you separated from the best of God. They worked for Adam and Eve, and they lost Eden. Did that mean that they lost God? No. God created another way. First in the sacrifice for animals to cover their nakedness. But all about a sacrificial system to continue to cover and atone over the sins of people. But Hebrews is all about a better sacrifice, and that sacrifice is Jesus. Where, where we profane the message of grace is we say, it doesn't matter. It does matter. The scripture's teaching us that it does matter matter how we live. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, 
And the coming one will come and will not delay. Jesus is on his way, people. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. If he what? Shrinks back. My soul has no pleasure. It's like that scary movie. I know how it's going to turn out. I I know it's not going to be good, but I just have to experience it one more time. I just have to try out this relationship in a way that I know is not God-honoring. Just one more time. I just have to do this one experience just one more time. I just have to tell that person off when God's been putting his finger on the gossip in my heart. But, oh, I just got to tell somebody about that person one more time. profanes the gospel of grace we shrink back and you you know I heard something recently I thought was so good it's just so simple when it comes to this idea of we know how things turn out and God wants things good for his people stove hot ouch it works every time stove everybody say stove say hot say ouch God doesn't want you to experience the ouch. So he puts the Ruach HaKodesh into our life, his Holy Spirit, to walk through life with us. And he begins to put his fingers, and he's like, no, 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 you've been down this path before, stove. But it looks so good, hot. I just want to experience, ouch. I love about God. Every time we say ouch, he says, come on, come on, come on. That's his grace, Amen. But as believers, we ought to be able to have a relationship with each other that we can say, but what the Word says, this is the stove, it's hot. I don't want you to experience the ouch. I'm not judging you to be ugly. I want the best for you. And it's not what I'm saying. It's what the Holy Spirit is saying. We can see this. And so with you, allow the Holy Spirit. Close your eyes. Father, just let the Holy Spirit begin to speak to our heart. What are those stove things in our life? Because as Hebrews 10, 39 says, we are not those who shrink back. I love that. God, you bring us hope in this scripture. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and persevere their souls. That's who we are, God. We don't see the shin. We don't see the teeth of you, if you will, as destruction. Lord God, we see that we can be consumed in you and full of the passion of God to be used by you. Look this way. So one of the heroes of the faith, David. Well, there's three places in Scripture where you see the word Ruach HaKodesh. Two are in Isaiah and one. I mean, you see Ruach all over. You see Kadesh all over. But the idea of Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, only two places. And one is in Psalm 51. And David, one of the heroes of the faith, was he perfect? No. So please, if you hear this message, I'm not calling you to perfection. I'm calling you to brokenness. I'm calling you to care about the word and to live according to the word. And when you can't, to seek a holy God that will help you. That's what what I'm calling you to. Much like David, who was a man broken. But the Bible says he was a man after God's heart. I love that. And in Psalm 51, the prophet Nathan had come and pointed his finger at David and called him out on his sin. Well, how dare you, Nathan? Don't you judge me. No, 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 no. All of Psalm 51 is David's response. As he got into a place of worship with the Lord, and he began to cry out to God to have mercy upon me according to your loving kindness. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities. He goes on down to verse 10 and 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, 
If that's you right now and there's areas of repentance, we're going to have a, a few moments here. We're going to sing one more song. And I'm not going to have you even come to this altar. I just want you at your seats today to take time with that repentance. If you feel like you need to talk to somebody, come talk to us. We'll pray with you. But, but just take time at your seats in repentance. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Watch this. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Ruach HaKodesh from me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me right in them and uphold me with a willing spirit. Right in the middle of the word Kadesh is that Dalit, that D. We would call it the D. The Dalit, and that's the door. And it's a doorway because it's a place of decision. It's a place where change takes place. It's a place where you're invited into life or death. Right in the middle of God's holiness. Isn't that neat? How can I be holy? You can't. But there's a door right in the middle of his holiness. And that door is Jesus. And so if you're here today, eyes bowed, eyes closed. If you're here today and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, man, just hold your hand up so I can see it. And you can put it back down. If you're here today, and this is for all of us that are believers, and if you feel at times you've been dancing around that door, inside and outside of his holiness, there's an invitation today to life, an invitation to his power, an invitation to all that God has to the person of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, I know I'm raising my hand. If that's you, raise your hand. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you. We don't come to you as perfect. We come to you as broken and flawed in our sin, but we do not excuse our sin. We lay it at your feet, and we ask that you would consume it today and that you would help us, Lord, to be empowered by you to not make excuses for sin, but to live daily empowered by your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.